Good morning, men. Always a pleasure to be here. Always good to see everybody. So, as Michael said, he asked me to speak on loyalty, and uh, we're going to look at loyalty, godly loyalty, and we're going to look at that using God's Word in the book of Esther. So before we get started, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come here before you just a new day, a new day in which your mercy and your grace is washed upon us. Lord, there's not one of us that's qualified, but you call us, and when you call us, you equip us. Lord, as we speak about loyalty, loyalty to you, loyalty to the body of Christ, loyalty to the mission of which you've given us, Lord, I pray that we all would have open hearts, that we would have minds, and that through your word and through the prompting of the Holy Spirit that you will change us to be stronger and to be deeper in you. We pray all these things in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, brothers, when I was asked to talk about loyalty, first thing I always do is just kind of go to a definition, try to find out what actually the word is that we're going to be talking about, right? So, loyalty, when I looked it up, is really the ability to put someone else ahead of you and to stay with them through thick and thin. Sound familiar? Anyone's been married before, right? It's a commitment and that you're loyal. It's also a faithfulness. And we know about faith. In order to be loyal, you have to submit. In order for me to submit, and I'm sure some of you as well, it's hard. I'm stubborn, I'm prideful, and I'm impatient, just to name a few. If my son, daughter, my wife would hear, there'd be a longer list, and I wouldn't get this done in 15 minutes. But they're the ones I'm painfully aware of and ones that I'm always fighting against. And when you're loyal, you have to submit. So when we go through the book of Esther here, one of the things the book of Esther is very abundantly clear is God's sovereignty and God's providence in saving his people and having a plan for his people, which I hope all of you are in that family and the body of Christ. The three main characters in the book of Esther are obviously Esther, Mordecai, and Haman. As Michael just said, ordinary men and women doing extraordinary deeds. So what I want to do is when I go through the book, the first three chapters, I'm going to land on chapter 4 and the verses. But what I want to do is the first couple chapters I want to go over really quick because there's application there, and there's also hope, and there's plenty to learn. But in the 15 minutes, we'll move here pretty quick. So God qualifies the call, like Michael said. Ordinary men doing extraordinary deeds. A.B. Simpson, who I'm sure you're all familiar with, had a, had a great quote I thought applied to what we're talking about today. God is preparing his heroes, and when the opportunity comes, he can fit them into their places in a moment, and the world will wonder, where did they come from? God is always working in us. So let's just look where I'll summarize for you. When we go through 
the book of Esther, the first chapter, I'm sure many of you are familiar with. I'm not going word by word, but I want to give you an overview. In the first chapter, we find the king throwing a very elaborate banquet, a party. He's got his nobles. He's got people of great authority there. He's got this huge party growing on, and he's sparing no expenses. So you have a king, you have a queen, you have nobles. He's throwing a party. What's his purpose for that party? For the sake of our discussion today and keep it moving, one of his hidden agendas was he wanted to invade Greece, which his father was not able to conquer Greece. He was trying to build loyalty with some of the armies and some of the commanders to build up his network so that he could have a successful invasion in Greece. So he had an agenda. Food, entertainment, alcohol. Simultaneously, the queen is also having a banquet with the females. Some bad things happen there. When the king is drunk, he decides he wants to put his wife on display for everyone to come. And we know the story. He sends out a command and asks her to come, and she what? She refuses. She says no. Now, I want you to think about this because it has to deal with loyalty. We have kings. We have queens. We have mayors, senators, army generals all at this party. Every one of them is serving an office. Every one of them, when they make decisions, when they make hard decisions, we can and tend to find out where their loyalty will lie. So the king asked for queen come. No, I'm not coming. There's a problem with that. I just mentioned everyone who's there that's supposed to be submissive to the king. When she doesn't come, as the king, she does, shows contempt in three areas. One, contempt for the king and the seat of being the king. She's disobeying a direct command from the king. Second, she's disobeying her husband. Third, she's disobeying a man. Remember in the culture back then, as far as what the relationship was between men and women. This is in front of everyone. Now what we know also later on in the chapter is the king did this while he was intoxicated. So now we have a king who's holding an officer, an office. Do we remember that king's name? Can any of you pick him out of his lineup? You can't. But you all know what a king is, right? So in that position, he was loyal to himself and not so much the office of being a king. Because being drunk, he decided to serve himself in gaining and attempting to gain loyalty through entertainment, through alcohol, through food. So now he's in a position where he can't do anything and he has to listen to his advisors would essentially tell him she's got to be banned, she can no longer be the queen. Now was she wrong in not going there? Technically, legally, yes. Did she understand what he was doing? Probably. He was drunk and it wasn't called for. So, but God ordains people 
he calls them, and he puts them in leadership roles. So ultimately, when we go through this, what's the point of me saying this about chapter 1? Who were they serving, and what were their motives? Who was the king serving? What was his motive? Was it self, or was he being submissive to a higher authority? Was he taking his leadership role in what he's supposed to lead his people and care for his people important, or was he trying to get himself in the history book, serve his flesh, his pride, and his lust? So the reason I bring that up is because every man in this room is a leader in my eyes. Every man here has a sphere of influence. Every man here is going to have to make a hard decision. Seth talked about it this weekend. When you squeeze something, when pressure is put on something, when heat is put on something extreme, it comes down to some basic elements. Gentlemen, we're no different. The king was no different. So when I look around this room, I think we have husbands. We have husbands here. We have fathers here. We have uncles here. Okay. We have grandfathers here probably too, right? Next generation and legacy. What an honor. What a privilege. We have brothers here. So who are you loyal to in those roles? Self and trying to please the world and what your family looks like? Or are you loyal to God's plan seeking his will for your family? even when it's not comfortable, even when it's not comfortable. So who you're serving, what's your motives? The office of being a father, grandfather, brother, son, are all ordained and put together by God, and they all have roles. But how will we serve in those roles? Will we be loyal, or who will we be loyal to? Here's a quote that I, I was, I was uh, brought to me when I was studying for this. Fools take to themselves the respect that is given their office. Fools take to themselves the respect that is given their office. Man, as far as pride goes, you're in the office of leadership at your work. 30 years from now, you're not going to be there, but that leadership role more than likely is going to be there. Right? We look at the history of this church. Pastor Marty was here for 42 years. Was he perfect? No, he would tell you that. But what he was, he was loyal to the word. He was committed to the flock. Does he have pride? Do we have pride? Do I have pride? Absolutely. But he submitted, and the loyalty of which he submitted to bared much fruit. So when we go into chapter 2, the king's decree defines and finds and brings out the fact that there's got to be other queens, virgins. There has to be other virgins and women brought to him for a potential queen. So although it looks like it's a mess, and in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, you find out the king wakes up from his drunkenness and realizes that he really loved the queen and liked the queen. And he had to make a bad decision under bad circumstances, right? So in God's sovereignty and providence for his people, because we know how the book of Esther ends, we know what happens to Haman. The door was opened up. The door was opened up to put Esther and Mordecai in a position where God could use them. God could use them. 
Now, when we meet Esther and Mordecai, we're not even sure they're practicing Jews. Scripture just doesn't tell us that. They're living in a place that's not friendly to Jews. They were conquered. They were brought into the area. And we find out that Mordecai never reveals that he's a Jew until chapter 3, when he has the confrontation with Haman at the gate. Right? Now keep in mind, these chapters aren't in succession. This didn't happen in five days. This didn't happen in 15 minutes. This is happening over a period of time. Right? So Mordecai isn't doesn't reveal to the, to the people that he is a Jew. And in fact, in chapter 2, Mordecai tells Esther, when she's going into the king's castle, don't tell of your kindred. Don't tell that you're a Jew. He commands her not to do that. Right? So where am I going with this? There are people God will use us in spite of ourselves. God will use us even when we're not faithful. So when we look at this, ordinary people doing extraordinary deeds. Anybody remember Jonah? Defiant. Had an impact, didn't he? Anybody remember Abraham? Kind of old and thought he was washed up. God used him. Anybody remember Joseph? Could have been bitter. God used him even when he was in power. Moses, he, did he want to go in front of Pharaoh? He stuttered. He had problems. Gideon was afraid. God had to take people away out of his army to show God's strength. Peter denied Jesus three times. Why do I say this? Because yes, we're all imperfect. Yes, we all have reasons for not standing up and for not um, serving the Lord. So chapter 3, fast forward, Mordecai won't bow down to Haman. Mordecai, Mordecai then reveal, reveals he's a Jew. And even when we're not loyal to God, he overlooks us to accomplish his will. Haman chooses to serve himself and basically just hates Jews. Mordecai just gives him a reason to go after all. So if you and I refuse to obey God, he will have us do things when we're uncomfortable and push us out of our comfort zone. He will use someone else, as we're going to see at the end here. He will use someone else. He will move on because he can. If he wants to use us and we do allow ourselves to be used by him in the setting that we're seeing here with Mordecai, we then are able to see the blessings. Mordecai loyalty, reward it. We will be allowed to see the blessings. Blessings are encouragement. Blessings grow us. Ordinary men, extraordinary deeds. God qualifies the call. Apart from him, we can do nothing. As we fight our flesh, as we continue to fight our flesh, we think about as far as what happens in Esther 4, 6 through 14. Let me just read this real quick, and we're wrapping up. Who are we serving? What's our motives? Esther starting in 6. 
Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all, and told him all that had happened to him. Going back to what he's referring to there is Mordecai had firsthand knowledge and the written decree that Haman fooled the king into putting a decree out to kill all the Jews. And for an exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews, Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written issued in Susa for their destruction that might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king and beg for his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. He's in a bad spot. There was a law that was made throughout the country to destroy and annihilate the entire Jewish population. He's Jewish. She's Jewish. What are you going to do? Haman's at the gate. In short, somehow he got favor, and he's right in the main commerce, and he's right in the know of what's going on with policy, and he's a Jew, and he knows. Esther's a little bit away from it. She's, uh, she's, she's um, away from it and isolated from it because she's in the, inside the, inside the uh, castle, and she's going through as far as not necessarily knowing all that's going on. So, and, and, and Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to, to Hatak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and people of the king's province know that if a man or woman goes to a king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death. Hey, Mordecai, I'm just reminding you. I'm not fighting you on this. I haven't seen the king in a month. I walk in unannounced during his business in front of his. We already know what he did with the last queen. Unless he points that golden scepter at me, I'm dead. What good am I going to be? Some pressure there, right? Don't we face pressure in this world? We're talking about it quite a bit now with the way policies are being written for schools and in our society, right? We have some hope this week, though, with some of the things that might be overturned. Unfortunately, it was leaked, but let's, let's continue to pray that's overturned. To be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called upon. I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Mordecai's response. Do you think of yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than other Jews? Do you think once a decree is stopped that they'll stop just because you're in there? The queen denied earlier the king's command to come. She was ousted. He put a decree out for all the land to say the Jews are going to be annihilated. She's a Jew inside. He's a Jew in the gate. There's no safety in that. He's caring about his pride. He's caring about his decree. He's not caring about God's people. But God is caring about his people. For if you keep silent this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for what? For such a time as this. Mordecai is saying this wasn't an accident. There is no accident in God's world. God is sovereign over all. Was it an accident 
that Mordecai is in a place of influence at the gate? Was it an accident earlier in Esther when Mordecai overhears two eunuchs wanting to assassinate the king? It's then chronicled for the king to hear later. And we know how that played out. Haman went in thinking that was about himself with his pride. How would, the king says to Haman, how would you reward a guy that did this? Haman, thinking totally and loyal, loyal only to his pride, only to his flesh, only to his personal gains, says this is what I would do, only to be slapped in the face by God to say this is what Mordecai did. Was it an accident that Esther was in there? Not at all. Again, men, if we refuse to be loyal, we will be refused and not see God's blessing upon us. We have a responsibility. It's where our loyalty is. Ordinary men, extraordinary deeds. Nobody's special. We all fall short at the cross. Will we submit? Will we be loyal to God? God qualifies the, the call. As we fight our flesh, the age long, as long as we're here, our flesh versus our faith, there's two questions that I challenge you with, that I challenge myself with almost daily. Phil, who are you serving? Yourself? Your pride? Society? this world, your bank account, or are you submitting to the Lord's plan and seeking his will? What is your motive? What is your motive, Phil? So what I would tell you is I find my answer frequent and often in Joshua 24, 15. When Joshua challenges who are you going to serve, the gods of old or the true God? And we all know Joshua 24, 15 he says, it's for me and my house, who's you serving? We're going to serve the Lord. Man, would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for this morning again. We thank you for your word that is inerrant. We thank you for your word that fills our souls. We thank you for your word that gives us courage, that gives us humility, and gives us love. Lord, we pray that these words would not just be words. We pray that these words would change us through the Holy Spirit to move us so that we can serve you, serve the Great Commission in your time and in your will to help us change the things that you want us to change. Lord, we come to you now, submit our lives to you, our thoughts and our day, and every day to you, asking you to lead, and we shall follow. And all God's men said, amen. Thank you.